let's say five to ten years to, to keep it relatively simple there, there's going to be a lot of leaders in a lot of niches so that industry that whole consumer product industry is going to become so much more personalized around a specific product or audience niche and it'll just keep getting more and more granular so it's going to become more important for brands to be very clear on who they're targeting and how and why and if they're thinking about product development and product expansion how can you keep growing without losing that really tight audience focus and that personalization and the brands that are going to do that well they're, they're going to really succeed Welcome to Ad Creative, a new show from Pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for DDC founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways. I'm Chase Moseni from the Pencil team. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is Felix Rosnecht, co-founder and principal at the DDC consultancy Route and Rise, and he gives us many incredible pieces of value here. What you're in for is his origins in his family business in Germany and how that shaped him how you can create an insights flywheel to tap into the qualitative insights for product innovations, and how audience niches will be a key differentiator for brands going into the future. I hope you enjoy it. Really excited to have Felix Rosnecht, fresh from Italy, on the podcast. He is the principal at Route and Rise, a D2C e-commerce consultancy. Felix, really happy for you to join us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So before we kind of dive into all of the information that that the listeners want to learn from you, what does Route and Rise do specifically for D2C brands? Absolutely. So we're we're specialists, small agency consultancy, and have a really strong interest in helping companies really grow their D2C customer base. So that's really the the key focus. I've got a strong background in in customer growth for for over a decade, and so really diving into that opportunity with a particular focus on helping brands that are established in retail or wholesale really crank up their D2C e-commerce offering as well. So getting that make up a significant chunk of their overall revenue. That's one of our sweet spots, but also done some work with kind of native D2C e-commerce brands on their growth. Oh, I'm really excited to talk about what is the parallels and, and what maybe a native D2C brand can learn from some of the bigger players and vice versa. I think that's such a interesting intersection because you see brands going back and forth between the two and some of the older tactics that um, have been used by the main street brands, the native DTC brands are using and vice versa. So, yeah, I'm really curious, obviously doing some research on you, you had a family hotel that you worked at, right. correct? That is correct. Yes. Back in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would love to know how that informs some of the ways that are like, if that had any way of shaping the idea to start your business and what you've done in the, what you've done subsequently. What did you learn from that experience? It, it, it's good you're asking, you know, it really has had an impact and that's probably only something I realized a couple of years ago, I would say, after already working for quite a few years, that it seems to have really shaped the way I think about business growth and taking a really longer term view on getting the fundamentals of the, the business and then just really putting the work in to build something up over the long term doesn't mean that you can not have really quick successes and fast progress as well but but just really taking that perspective because my dad was the, the last one to run that business full-time but he 
is the third generation in that company. It was built over a century to what it has become. It's still going now under new ownership. So it really has it's pushed me into wanting to work with other business owners, which is something I'm really passionate about because I've experienced that myself. But also secondly, like I said, just really taking that long-term approach and diving into understanding your customers better and, and then making sure you hit those needs directly. And that's what made that business successful. That's what I've taken away from it. Yeah, that's so fascinating what that does to kind of your perspective on business in general and how much you have an affinity for helping other founders or, or operators because you have watched from the front lines how difficult it is. And mm. I mean... Your dad didn't have access to a podcast when he was starting out. Neither did your the rest of the other right. two generations that had run the hotel Even before less. that. So that, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's yeah, that's incredible. So I'm really curious how you got the idea to start Rotten Rise because I know you had a another consultancy beforehand and had worked at various other other consultancies before that specifically. So what gave you the specific idea to start this? Because I know this is new, a newer business for you. It is. I've been. Like I mentioned, I've, I've worked over a decade on B2C growth and mostly in the consumer space, but it's not just consumer goods, but also consumer finance, education. They've been some of the, so the, the bigger trends there. And I've always been passionate about growing companies' customer base and really building the right kind of strategies for that. And in, yeah, in line with that, I had an agency for a few years that was mostly working on performance marketing and, and digital growth for a range of startups in a different in, in a bunch of different sectors. So there was definitely some e-commerce, but also fintech, insurance, um, property. So quite a mix. And it was going really well between sort of 2015, 16 and 2021. So we had a good stint of, of five years of doing that and really great success stories, growing customers and growing brands to where they were able to take off. And this was mostly in the UK and European market. But what I did realize that on one hand, there's a really great opportunity specifically in an e-commerce and consumer products. So I really just decided I wanted to become a lot more focused on the industry in particular. Uh, a lot of the techniques around growth apply in different industries, but we need to be specific here. And that was something where I saw the biggest opportunity out of the industries that I worked in right now was to really get involved in that next wave of e-commerce, which I'm seeing happening. That's one thing. And the second one was to you know decide to become more focused on the customer insights generation side of things, where we, we've seen a massive drop off in efficiency for digital advertising channels over the last two, three years. When we started the previous agency, the, it was just flying and it was still very cheap. But now that sector has really changed and the situation is a very different one. So I decided to, to relaunch as a new consultancy on, on Roots and Rise to, again, like I said, really focus on that massive opportunity in D2C, especially for more established brands and then also just become a lot more focused on generating those zero and first party data insights about customer bases to, to really you know inform creative development inform channel planning inform the, the sort of broader targeting decisions so it was a 
decision, which is similar to what I recommend to my clients, you've got to zoom out a little bit sometimes and look at your industry as a whole and some of the trends that are happening there. And looking at those, I realized that that was the best business to be running for me for the next few years and the services that I need to provide to these clients to be successful, if that makes sense. 100%. That's, I think that's really insightful what you're saying about the change. I think it's almost similar to that, to, to the article that you just wrote about the different waves of D2C and, and reacting mm -hmm. specifically to that and trying to get ahead of it. I'm really curious because I, I think we're going to get into Insights Flywheel and, and all of those things coming up here. How prepared do you think brands are in general to be able to do this first party and uh, zero party insights that deliver value to them? Because I find it's, it seems still like everyone is very, is very behind the eight ball on that. It's a really interesting question because I think at, at the same time, it's never been so doable to generate really credible you know, insights and even frameworks for getting more customer insights and customer data because the technology just keeps on advancing. And now with platform technology, it's just so much easier to get a level of analytics and get access to your customers that's unprecedented. It used to take corporates to spend a lot of money on big data platforms and big research teams, etc. So all of that can be done a lot more simply now through various platforms that you might just charge you a monthly subscription. That's one factor there that's become a lot easier. But on the flip side, that also increases the pressure on brands to use those tools well and to focus on the right kind of insights to gather the right kind of data, what to do with it. Because some of your competitors will be doing it well and they will make sure that the channels still work for them. So if you don't, then you, you have a problem. So the competition for having a very informed view on your customer has really gone up. So I think a lot of brands still aren't quite there yet in terms of having the willingness to really dive into their customer base and maybe taking some uncomfortable steps to maybe put some of their assumptions out on the line. They might have assumed for years that customers want this. Maybe they want something slightly different and it might be a little bit uncomfortable to say okay maybe we were wrong for a bit but let's refine this and let's see you know where we can take this but also just making sure that you can appropriate level of complexity when it comes to insights and data depending on the stage that the company is at the more advanced and the bigger company gets the more elaborate and sophisticated that should become but at any kind of size or, or stage there's going to be a lot of value in making sure that you, you've got at least some basic understandings of your customers' characteristics, but also their desires and some of their behavioral patterns that will just make such a massive difference to how you run your marketing and your growth. Yes, you know, long-winded answer. I think there's a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, that creates a lot of expectation and brands still have a bit of catching up to do. And it's a bit of a hangover from having cheap ads available for so many years now where you just had to worry a little bit less about getting the most efficiency from them. Now that's a different situation. A lot of the testing and the research needs to happen before something goes live. And that's where the value is going to lie, I think, in the coming years. So you said two things that I want to dive into. I'll go into the first one because I think it's, it's more tactical, which is 
you said that you have to have hard conversations sometimes with your clients and or internally about getting some of this stuff wired up or the assumptions that we've made are very far off base and we need to experiment into new ideas and have kind of hypotheses to deliver against them. How does that generally work when you're a consultant specifically? Because internally you're managing your team, how the structure of the team works, but as a consultant, you're coming in and they have asked you to help them think differently and reconfigure the basics of their business. However, you're still dealing with personalities, power dynamics, et cetera. So what's been your strategy on dealing with that specifically while also delivering the value that you were you know, brought in to, to give? It's a very fine line. You've got to be really careful to not be too pushy or accidentally set, you know, make people feel insecure about what they have built and what they have done, which is usually really great stuff. But at the same time, I just try and really question assumptions with, I you know, always try to do that with a sort of really constructive and supportive attitude. So, you know, the, the value of getting a consultant or a, a, t- a small team of people in is to get a different perspective. And as someone very smart who I follow has said several times, it's quite hard to read the label on the jar when you're inside the jar. So a lot of brands have spent so much time and energy building their business. It sometimes takes someone else to pull them out of it a little bit and say, okay, maybe some of these assumptions here, we might want to get hard data on whether that's some of the content preferences of their clients or how they want to purchase, how do they tend to shop for these kinds of products online? So there might be some changes that would be worth making at some point. So, so what, you know, what I try to do is listen people out. So where do they take their assumptions and insights from? What have they learned? What have they tried? And then carefully push back and take nothing for set in stone and then see where it does make sense to get some more validation and some extra data and, and yeah, take it from there. But it's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really fascinating. I think the next thing that came from the, the thing you said before was you want to get insights before you actually run your tests or set them live. And so the way that I look at this, like people do a lot of postmortems on things. They also kind of, I don't know, this is not a real word, but they mid-mortem things, but they don't do a lot of, um, they do a lot of pre-mortems. And so I'm curious how you instruct people to do them and, and how, what's a mental model or a framework that people can use that's, that's relatively actionable in your mind to be able to, to do that? Because I think a lot of people just throw tests up. And again, at Pencil, we say, do that. You want to you wanna do as much yeah. testing as you possibly can. But there's also the, hey, there's money and risk attached to every single test that we run. So how do we feel more confident? in a world where, say, maybe we don't have enough data to support the test, but we know that we need to run it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing for us to be talking about this because you guys obviously do an incredible job at making it very possible to test a lot of different variations and, and really become very granular. And people should continue doing that, and it's incredibly powerful. I've probably come from a, a history of the last years where that was the main activity for learning about, you know, customers' preferences was to essentially just, yeah, throw tests out there. And that's a really good thing. So coming from, from mostly a startup world where I've done quite a lot of work, there's now got to have to be a move in a slightly different direction where if you're talking to more established companies, they don't do enough testing. 
they just do the thinking up front. So people can come from two different angles, but I'm saying it needs to be somewhere in the middle. It, it's very powerful to continue using platforms for testing, whether that's formal or, or just letting the algorithm do its work, which is obviously going to keep playing a role. But when you go into these campaigns and channels and, and sort of more granular tests, there's still obviously quite a cost attached to creative production also potentially the brand implications of putting stuff out there for everyone to see that you've got to be happy with and if you're not it might damage your brand especially if you if d2c e-commerce is one of your channels but you might be selling 60 70 percent through retail then your brand perception will play a massive role there the way to go about this really is to use potentially some sort of direct interactions with customers, potential customers on a qualitative side. So some in-depth interviews, a couple of focus groups that can then inform the kinds of things, the kinds of stumbling blocks you might come across, or maybe even some early feedback on people like to see what people don't like to see. You can then come up with some initial concepts for different creatives or, or you know, different assets, whatever it might be. On that basis, you could maybe do some slightly more uh, quantitative insights there, maybe get a couple of surveys out with either with existing customers or with some panels that can be quite easily accessed. Then take it to the next level where you actually finalizing some of these assets and, and running the digital ad campaigns to, to test for them. But it's really valuable to validate some of these assumptions you might have during that creative production process. It's obviously that the biggest lever these days in making digital ads work is the creative that makes sense that's how everyone talks about it but how do you make the creative work is not by more creativity usually it might be more ai maybe if i talk to you guys but it's definitely also just doing more homework to come up with the right kinds of concepts and that means yeah. understanding the customer better and then we might talk about this but having a more narrow positioning as well with your product and so that's the sort of that's they're the leading indicators of where this is going to go. Yeah, that's very fascinating. Again, I've had been having some of these chats with people and, and understanding your customers keeps coming back to the fore. And I think it's incredibly salient is considering what you're talking about, writing CPMs, different channel distribution, et cetera, is understanding what customers are there and what your customers are and how to interact with them. I was curious, earlier you said there are some simple tools that you can use to get some of these qualitative insights. And so what do you usually recommend to people, say they have a small budget, what can they do to go and interact with prospective customers if they're using current customer? It's essentially all free if you wanna go super simple. So if you have an existing customer base, you can literally email them or send them a type form and jump on a Zoom or you know a Hangout and, and and have some of these conversations. The tech doesn't need to be complex there. You just need to make sure that you're actually asking the right sort of things. You're engaging with people in the right kind of way, which can be hard if you're not used to that kind of work. The colleague in my team who runs that side of the business has been doing this for a decade to learn how to speak with people so you actually find out useful things. But the tools don't have to be too complex there. What's obviously then what comes in, which is a bit easier, you, there are you know, a bunch of platforms out there that enable you to recruit people for interviews or for 
surveys for focus groups for relatively small fees. So they have these existing panels that you can tap into and you can run some different segmentation on it. And again, it's quite affordable, actually. It's not out of reach for anyone, which is really quite powerful. And then obviously there's various, various analytics tools that tap into the Shopify's and other platforms like that. So that just makes it a lot easier to get more granular data on what's actually happening. So there's this kind of, there's obviously different types of, of customer data that you can access there. I, I tend to talk about them in terms of the context. So that's where the people are, who they are, what are the sort of usual patterns and references. But then you also want to think about their intent. What are they hoping to do? Can you dig into some of the search data? Can you look at sort of forums and do some social listening and see what, what are people looking for specifically in that kind of product category and then there's the action that they're taking so that's stuff you can measure on your website on your ad channels very specifically so really building the context the intent and the action that full picture there's there's various analytics tools and insights tools that people can find that the one that suits them best do a quick google around for that kind of stuff but it's yeah, compared to maybe when I started doing this a decade ago, where it was mostly the corporates that were doing all of that kind of stuff, you can get pretty quick readings on any of these things. And it doesn't take massive projects anymore. So it's just become a lot more agile to get these insights and specific bits of feedback on campaigns, for example. Like maybe give you one, one nice example, which I read about recently as well, is a company in the UK called Bloom and Wild. And they do a lot of gifting online for flowers and other sort of gifts for holidays and they decided for one of their valentine's campaigns a couple of years ago to just figure out whether people actually want red roses because they thought it's probably a bit cheesy what are we doing here and they did some surveys some interviews to really figure out that people actually hate getting red roses for valentine's because it's very uncreative so they decided not to sell any um, and turn it into a nice sort of public awareness campaign and it was, I think, the, the biggest Valentine's they had, 30%. And so it made quite a big difference. And it's just a small little research project to get just get some validation for what hunch you might already have. And, and that's all it needs to be. But the practice is to just keep doing that regularly on a continuous basis. And it just keeps getting better. This is really fascinating coming back to your idea of positioning and how you can get quick insights and there are there is information out there. I, I have found, and this is not to denigrate anybody, but we all get very myopic. It's like you said, you can't see the label from the glass jar. And a lot of times yeah. we think, oh, the, the industry is all going this way. And so if they're going right, we all need to go. That's actually not where the blue ocean is. The blue ocean is if you go left, taking all the things you know about what's right. on the right. And so I think it's a really interesting intersection. And I, I quite love this because I haven't bought my wife uh, red roses since I think the first year we had a Valentine's Day for this very specific reason that she well, said, let's try something new. Let's try something new and interesting here. So I wanted to dive into two, two things. The first thing is, and we'll essentially dovetail next into the idea of positioning. What ideas do you find have changed the game for your clients as you help them creatively think about positioning, et cetera? How have you been able to unlock things for them that maybe they haven't seen? That, yeah, it's a good question. I probably, 
I can't take too much credit for that. But when my client makes good decisions, I try and open their view to what's already going on and what's visible in the space as a whole. And to be honest, that's my my one big recommendation and the, the one big realization maybe as well for me that's become really important is to to zoom out of the day-to-day and maybe even some of the yeah, a lot of the discussion that's happening in the e-commerce space or you know the performance marketing space and think about what are the most important factors for us to be successful right now and in most cases you actually need to look at some of the macro, let's say the macro effects of what's going on in the economy, but also in the industry and in your category. Lots of brands in the e-commerce D2C space have been thinking about themselves as digital brands or e-commerce brands or D2C brands and specialists in those fields where really I think what we're now seeing, because it's become so much more saturated as a space, brands need to now think of themselves primarily again as a fashion brand or footwear brand or cosmetics brand or uh, toiletries or whatever it might be. And it sounds like a bit of a daft insight because obviously they were before as well, but because we've had a such a sort of massive catching up in the e-commerce space for a lot of categories to now be covered on e-commerce, it's now very competitive. So now how do you stand out? Well, you find a really credible positioning within your category, really credible niche around a specific audience or a specific type of product or need that you're solving. And you're, you're really using that to have the best possible product in that space. And, and these are usually questions related to the category uh, or, or the industry. So that, that's for me, the sort of idea of this third wave of D2C and e-commerce that, that we're in now. So I think when I had good success with clients, it's really making people realize to to understand their industry incredibly well and their category in there. And then overlaying that with what we've just been talking about is to really understand the customer and, and using that to optimize the channels. Yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I tend to give my clients a really good view of what's going on in the space from my perspective and then bring in what they already know about the category and the product where the client is always the expert compared to me and that needs to obviously you know be combined all the time so what i'm hearing essentially is if we built this into a framework is we zoom out and look at kind of the base level in the simplest form the base level of what's going on in the category as a whole not just online but you know offline and and in in stores etc and then we layer on the expertise of the customer or your client and synthesize yeah. those two things to be able to say, hey, here is from first principles what we know is happening in the space. And then these are your specific insights. And we build, we start building positioning and uh, and different tests from there. Am I getting that right? Yes, absolutely. I think that's really nicely put. And it's interesting because I'm straddling that the, those two different worlds of the, more of the consultancy side and some of the corporate side and, and the very hands-on down to agency growth, digital marketing, e-commerce worlds. And people in consultancies, they often only talk about the industry factors and some of these bigger trends. And then you get a lot of people, especially in e-commerce on marketing side, that only talk about attribution and they only talk about iOS 14 and they talk about how to make specific channels work. And so it really needs to be a bit of both, right? Because most of the growth challenges in 
in e-commerce brands are not really related to what they're doing on specific channels, but they're more related to how they position themselves within the industry and the level of knowledge they have about their customers and their market. But then obviously you need to keep refining that just as much as you need to keep refining how you use the channels and whether you can use tools like Pencil and others to really sharpen that up. But again, it needs to be it needs to be a bit of both and that needs to happen regularly. So it's not just you know, once you've launched a product or a brand, you've already done all your industry research and and then that's done. You need to yeah, keep watching the category. You need to keep trying to refine the target audience that you have. This is not a one-off piece of work, but it's something that happens continuously. So yeah, I think the way you put it was, was really good. So what's fascinating about what you just said is, and I think it might actually scare founders, is this is a continuous cycle of insights. And so it's the insights flywheel that you and I have spoken about a little bit. What I think is fascinating or more actionable about that is saying it's not about doing these huge reports every every month, every two weeks. It's about having a continuous flow of information that goes into a pool that then you can leverage on a regular basis rather than having to do these kind of these McKinsey studies, if you will. But I'd be curious yeah. how you think a, a brand can action that in a really simple in a really simple way because. If you said, hey, Chase, you have a X brand and you have to be researching continuously, I'd be like, how do I do that? I'm trying to just hit my revenue targets. And it's like, yeah, but you can't hit your revenue targets if you don't do the research to be able to understand your customers and the positioning you need to do better. And I think you said it perfectly, which is there's the macro kind of McKinsey studies and then there's the micro, hey, iOS 14 is affecting your business. And in the middle is actually where the context of the brand really lives and what's actually important because it informs both things. So I'm curious, how would you do this in a simple way? If say you and I started a brand today and it's called, you know, Felix and Chase's Candles today, uh, how would we be able to continuously pull insights and action on them on both levels, the micro and the macro? Yeah, completely. I, I would say there's probably two steps to it that I would go through and that applies to a new brand, but it probably applies to and an existing brand and one that's up and running. So the the first one is definitely defining the, the scope of what you need to know and how you can find out about that. I would say like what I mentioned earlier, the, the three categories of insight, so context, intent, and action, they're usually a good framework to think through, yes, what do we need to know? What do we already know about customers? What are our assumptions? And which of these assumptions are too vague that we have to actually get some more information on them. So that's probably one to take some time to, to brainstorm and work through with a couple of people or maybe take, ideally take a half day or, or a couple of half day workshops to really understand all the knowledge that's currently there and all the assumptions that are there. And then coming up with a, a few questions to, that you want answered on a one-off and on a regular basis. And then there's two more actionable steps after that one is if it's if it's the first time that some substantial insights work is being done whether that's in a new brand or in an established brand or like some of my clients an established brand in retail that needs to be bigger in e-commerce it's almost like a you know different business stream you want to do a one-off piece of of research and data generation that is going to form the foundation where you don't need to do it 
constantly. So there's usually qualitative aspects to it that will help inform the quantitative aspects. So when you having some in-depth conversations with existing or potential new customers, it actually brings up a lot of the things that you need to know more about. So that some assumptions come out about what they like about the brand or what they don't like about the product or how they tend to shop in that sort of category. And then you can form some more hypotheses with that and use them in a more quantitative study. You can use some data survey tools and, and some tapping into some of these existing audiences and panels, which would be worth doing definitely as a one-off. And again, it depends a bit, what are the main pain points right now for the brand? Is it about retention or is it more making some of the conversion rates improve on certain channels or for certain cohorts? So just really letting yourself be guided by main problems you're trying to solve. First step, defining the scope and the question. Second step, do a one-off piece over let's say one or two month period that will generate a bit of a report, I say carefully, because we don't need lots of slides. We just need a one-off piece of learnings. And then the third step is, well, how can we do that continuously? Can we generate data continuously on all the different aspects? So that could be asking people to submit a couple of pieces of data when they sign up for an email newsletter. You can set up that form relatively easily. Post-purchase surveys, you could do automated you know, questionnaires, maybe three months after the first purchase or three months after the third one or whatever might be right for you, but also making sure you get all the right analytics tools and in place that are going to generate that data going forward. So there'll be some of that already there. I don't think there's any brands that are not doing any of this, but can you put in place two or three things that will just keep running automatically, generate that extra bit of data and then give yourself a, a sample schedule. So every quarter, you're going to pull all that data together, have a session with your management team and discuss any trends you've seen there. And then maybe once a year, you repeat the sort of more in-depth one-off piece, which has a bit more qualitative aspect to it. And sometimes, especially when companies are growing quite fast, from one year to the next, your audience base could actually look quite different. If you're going from relatively small numbers and they're, they're doubling or tripling, there might actually be quite a few new audience members because, yeah, as a brand grows, you're attracting slightly different people as well. So that would be my sort of process. It doesn't have to be super expensive. It doesn't have to take loads of time, but it does take enough time or you need to take enough time to do it properly. So, yeah, if you're, if you're worried about going out of business in three months when you need to get your numbers up otherwise you can't raise more funding etc etc then it's going to be difficult to do this so you shouldn't get into that position in the first place and and give yourself a little bit of that time for sure i want to ask a few more questions here first mm-hmm. you we've already talked about how the landscape is changing we've essentially talked about how you can build an insights flywheel for your team What's overhyped right now? I think obviously there's a lot of things. So Insights Flywheel, I think is still actually underhyped to be completely frank with you. What do you feel when you talk to brands is being overhyped right now as a silver bullet? I I want to say anything to do with VR, Metaverse, Web3, which are all pretty fascinating topics, but we're, or blockchain even, we're a long way away from that having any impact in in consumer products but my main point is that people get too hung up about channel tactics 
generally. And obviously, privacy changes, I think they're right to be happening. They have a massive impact. It's very difficult for brands. And yeah, there's going to have to be some new ways of approaching these channels. But if that's all you're thinking about, then it's going to be really hard to get away from that. There's a lot of brands that are still doing incredibly well using Facebook ads and a combination of other channels, right? Because they've got their customer journeys figured out. They have a pretty strong unit economics, so it continues working. So yes, tactics overhyped and positioning and, you know, insights generation, I think is generally underhyped. That's why I keep talking about it until people get, get bored of it. <laughs> Now, I think it's going to become more and more a part of everyone's essentially stack, if you will. And we all have these uh, these tech stacks. I think we're going to have to build more into that regarding positioning and and insights, like you're saying. So, what's the next? Or what's your big idea of where the industry will go next? Yeah, it's a great question, and I wish I could forecast it perfectly. I think for me. Like I said, it, I, I see this as the third wave, the first one being in the, the very early days of big e-commerce when eBay and Amazon really pushing into that and things started really taking off. The second wave being all these D2C leaders, native D2C leaders that, that popped up, Harry's, Wobby Parker, et cetera, et cetera. And they benefited from really cheap ads and quite low saturation in a lot of categories. So you know, we really saw very fast growth of some category leaders, not just even individual products, but category leaders. And that's really shifted again the last sort of two to three years. So what I'm envisaging now for the next, let's say five to 10 years to, to keep it relatively simple, there, there's going to be a lot of leaders in a lot of niches. So that industry, that whole consumer product industry is going to become so much more personalized around a specific product or audience niche and it'll just keep getting more and more granular so it's going to become more important for brands to be very clear on who they're targeting and how and why and if they're thinking about product development and product expansion how can you keep growing without losing that really tight audience focus and that personalization and the brands that are going to do that well, they're, they're going to really succeed. So I guess there's, I think there's probably a couple of different models there. One is, you see quite a lot of these kind of aggregators that will buy lots of different e-commerce brands and essentially share some of the back end and, you know, some of the knowledge around digital marketing and build like a new Unilever built around the online world. But there's also other cases of brands essentially, you know, launching new products or, or buying other startups targeting very specific audience that are slightly different from the existing one. So this is what I call these cascading positionings where you're really not losing your existing customers by becoming too broad and too generic, but you're adding new pockets of opportunity into your business. So, you know, that I think that's going to be really powerful. I think the, my second prediction is that the more established wholesale retail brands are going to have an edge in e-commerce and D2C over the coming years. And something about this recently, I wanted to go into all the details, but essentially that because of the increased sort of granularity, like lots of different niches, lots of different types of products, 
any kind of established brand can really push in there and they own their niche. They use their existing customer base to really have an edge when it comes to the acquisition activity as well. So I think, yeah, we're going we're gonna to see more growth in e-commerce from established brands pushing into two online channels. And, and we're also going to have uh, a really sort of detailed patchwork of lots of different brands targeting different audiences, which is going to be great for customers ultimately. So that's how I think about it. Yeah, that's great. You answered the question that I was going to come from there, which is, does it look yeah. like you feel like behemoths take over control of the large scale growth that a lot of these upstarts, the Allbirds and Harry's um, and Dollar Shave Clubs of the world had in the second wave? And then do you think it's going to be more about these niche brands building profitably so that they can exit from a role of like Thrasio or a bigger kind of Unilever type of company buying them? Is that kind of where you see everything going? You answered that already, but that's what I was taking out of that in general. Yeah, I think so. There's always going to be a trend towards concentration. That's what happened. There's essentially four or five big consumer product brands in the world now, and they got they have a lot of power and a lot of cash, so that they're, they're going to keep buying brands. And then there's going to be this new type of aggregator where it's like a new type of conglomerate, essentially. I think there's there's a lot of room for independent brands as well for to grow quite a bit. And the potential is definitely there. So you of course you can just be your lifestyle business and you just have one type of product and you see where how far you can get, build quite a nice business. But the, there's a lot of growth potential to add these additional bits of positioning, these different audiences, these additional kind of segments. And so that's the that's gonna be the challenge. How do you keep growing without losing your audience focus? It's I think, yeah, I think in in twenty, thirty years it's gonna be some big new brands sticking out of the Unilevers and Nestle's that are more online first and, and digital native. And I think that'll be a good thing generally, I would say. Yeah, I agree completely with you. I've seen some really great brands come out, but like you said, it is a little bit different than it was you know, five, 10 years ago, considering what the macro headwinds that people are dealing with. Okay, so we're going to go into rapid fire right now. Where do you get your best idea? When I exercise, I think, because then mm -hmm. there's no distractions and um, suddenly these things pop to my mind. <laughs> How often do your parents ask you what you do exactly? Oh, they've given up a long time ago. My dad used to have a hotel and a restaurant, so that's pretty obvious. So they try. I think once a year we sit down and we have a bit more of a chat. So. <laughs> yeah. What D2C buzzword do you hate most? I don't see. I don't even know the buzzwords because I try not listening to them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you have transcended the buzzword dumb. That's great. What skill has served you best in life? Gaining perspective. So... I've actually just, you know, I've been fortunate to have a few months out during the pandemic to reflect where I wanted to go next and, you know, how to relaunch the consulting business. So just having the headspace to, yeah, zoom out and getting some of that macro view and the micro view. So yeah, maybe switching off, zooming out. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you ever received? And th that's going to be related to what I said in the beginning. So just really take a long-term perspective on, on building the business and just kind of focus, always just focus on the value add and building it up over time. What would you tell someone who is listening and just starting out either a brand 
or someone who wants to be a consultant, what would be something you would give them to think about? So just be really focused on what you think the best opportunity is. So for a brand, is there, is there a very specific market that looks a bit underserved right now? Or, I mean, similar for a consultant, where can you really add value? And then making sure that there's actually a strong commercial proposition in it. And it's, it's not just some idea or something that someone else is doing and I'm going to try and copy it. But yeah, what, where's the gap to focus on and, and how is that going to make good enough money to build a good business? That is where I want to stop because you just dropped... You dropped it like it's hot right there. Felix, I want to thank you. How should people reach out to you? Where should they find you on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or just through the Route and Rise website? What, what's the best way? Yeah, so rootsandrise.com or routeandrise.com, as you'd say over there. Yeah, um, sure, I'm usually most active on LinkedIn, so people can find me there. Yeah, feel free to share any links. They can email me, felix at routeandrise.com. Yeah, I'd love to continue the conversation. All right. Great. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us here and sharing your immense insights. It's really refreshing to talk about uh, the business in this way. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for your questions. Yeah. I'd love to be continuing the chat. Oh, we'll do this again. No doubt. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ad Creative from Pencil. We hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively. If you have someone that you think we should interview, hit me up on Twitter. We want to have the most amazing lineup possible. Also, if you could please share and review this, we want to help as many people as we can. Until next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks. Thanks.